Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science meets practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. Uh, dear listeners, uh, welcome to Hankem's Sustainability Unwrapped podcast. My name is Niklas Meyer and I work as a postdoctoral researcher at Hanken. And today we're going to talk about ESG investing and uh, responsible investing. And with us here today, we have Anna Hyrske. Anna works as a principal responsible investment specialist at the Asset Management Department, Bank of Finland. Uh, she also has a background working with similar tasks in pension fund. Uh, it is very nice to meet you, Anna, and uh, great that you could join us today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, great to be here. Great. Uh, we have four topics uh, we're going to cover. Uh, so first, we will let Anna introduce herself and uh, talk a little bit about responsible investing at the Bank of Finland. And um, second, we will discuss ESG investing and institutional investors. And uh, third, we will discuss ESG-related risks. And fourth and finally, we will shortly discuss uh, Anna's view on the future of ESG investing. But uh, uh, let us start with the first topic. So Anna, could you please introduce yourself to our audience and maybe tell us a little bit about your work at Bank of Finland? Oh, I'd I'd be happy to. Um, my background is uh, somewhat unimaginative, as in I was born and bred in Finland, did my undergraduate degrees abroad, um, and I was supposed to stay abroad. But um, then I found myself working for one of the largest investors in Finland, and got into Hanken actually uh, to do my um, to do my master's degree. Um, and life took over, and uh, and uh, since then I have actually made ESG and responsible investing um, as my passion and and work. I've written two books on the topic. Um, I've given lectures and speeches both home and abroad. Uh, I've lived in Asia for several years, and now I'm back in Finland with a new new job. So after 20 years at Ilmarinen, um, I just recently changed to uh, the Bank of Finland. Um, the job I have at at um, BOF is a newly created position. Um, so once again, I find myself developing and um, developing my role and 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 my expertise. Um, and uh, when I started 20 years ago, I sort of half jokingly said that I want to make myself redundant. Um, the idea was to pass on the knowledge and 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 the capabilities so that portfolio managers and analysts could do do it all themselves. Now it seems like I want to make these kind of roles uh, very visible and very important so that ESG gets invited to all the big important tables. And um, and that is the motivation um, to, to my move from a huge portfolio and an ESG trailblazer to a, a much more smaller uh, portfolio um, to a uh, organization in the first stages of their ESG journey but with a massive, massive potential for impact. I mean, central banks are not known for their ESG capabilities, but when you actually start to scratch the surface, you'll be surprised what you can find. Um, my job at uh, Bank of Finland is all about developing and, and leading the bank further on the ESG path and to support portfolio managers in their daily activities. It is also to work um, 
in uh, as a Bank of Finland representative in international working groups uh, to take ESG further. So very, very interesting. Thank you, and I'm very interested to hear. So I think most people have probably heard about uh, Norwegian pension funds, so it's one of the largest funds in the world, and they have a specific focus on, on sustainable and responsible investing. But for some, it might be uh, a new thing to hear that also central banks, including the Bank of Finland, invest responsibly. So is it common for central banks to invest responsibly? And uh, this is a new thing for Bank of Finland, is it? Or has it been around for a long time? Well, I mean, central banks are, are increasingly interested in responsible investment. Um, although there are only a few central banks that have signed the uh, UN-backed principles for responsible investment, um, there are almost um, 80 full NGFS members. And NGFS is probably not very known <laughs> entity to the listeners, but it is a, uh, a uh, network for central banks and supervisors on, on uh, making the system greener, um, bringing uh, ESG, especially the E part, into the, um, the central bank and supervisors' um, table. Uh, and proud to say that that the Bank of Finland um, belongs to both of these um, these organ organizations to these groups. Um, this um, this when did um, both adopt the uh, responsible investment strategy is fairly new. So it happened a few years back, uh, and I I hope many many more uh, more to come. Great, interesting to hear. So uh, can I ask you about? Uh... Bank of Finland specific uh, like responsible investment strategy. How do you actually implement it? Is it more like looking at ESG ratings when investing, or is it a focus more on like excluding companies in certain sectors, maybe, uh, or do you have some entirely different strategy? Well, what is really kind of important is to understand that your responsible investment strategy depends on your overall investment strategy. Uh, so, so Bank of Finland does not invest directly into equities, for example. So therefore, active ownership uh, is not as meaningful to perform in-house as to some other investors who do a lot of uh, direct equity investing. Um, so for, for both, it's important um, to look at the uh, responsible investment activities um, that are related to externally managed portfolios when it comes to equities, for example. So does the fund manager look, or how does the fund manager look at ESG? Um, how responsible is the fund manager in his own activities? How does the manager exercise its own ownership rights? Um, what kind of are, uh, responsible investment principles do they have? And how are they implemented in the product we are interested in investing in? So this is kind of like just to, to give a flavor on, on, on why why your investment style, why your investment strategy uh, actually leads you to choose what do you do from responsible investment um, perspective. So what we do then is we have uh, exclusions uh, and we have ESG classification in place. We do thematic investments, for example. Um, so, so it is very common uh, for for investors to um, use a mul multiple approaches and different tools in order to 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 show um, or get the benefits of ESG in the various asset classes they invested in. Very interesting. Um, you let's move on to question two. So it's more about uh, institutional investors and. And active ownership, so you mentioned that um, the Bank of Finland is maybe not 
typical example of active owner in the sense that you don't invest in equities, but uh, you have also worked for We don't uh, invest uh, equities directly. <laughs> we, directly. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah, we use external <laughs> fund managers, therefore then rather than us uh, no, doing see. a lot on proxy voting and engagement, it's important to follow what the uh, fund manager is doing on these topics. I understand. Um, but let's then discuss more like the kind of institutional investor setups of pension funds, uh, stuff like that. So the Norwegian pension fund, uh, which was mentioned here earlier, it's often considered a typical example, maybe of an active owner. They engage with their companies, they invest in to be a good citizen. So um, from your experience from working in the field for a long time, would you say it's a common approach for institutional investors to be active owners on ESG issues? And well, uh, uh, yeah, please go ahead. Yes, uh, so I am a strong believer that with ownership powers comes responsibilities and, and those responsibilities should be implemented actively. This does not mean uh, activist owner, but an active owner. And, and there are many ways to be an active owner uh, and, and in, institutional investors are becoming uh, increasingly active. And engagement, um, like you mentioned, um, is uh, is one form of active ownership, and it can take different forms. Um, it can be reactive, uh, it can be proactive. So um, reactive um, engagement means that you are reacting to a negative risk event, for example, whereas then a proactive engagement is, is more to build understanding, to learn and help to identify risks. And, and these engagements can be done either sort of like in-house so so you contact the companies yourself and 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 talk to them uh and and build the agenda yourself you can use a service provider so the beauty of working within financial markets is that you will have service providers um on and anything and, and everything you might wish to have uh, or do um, but you can also do uh collaborative efforts where you team up with other similarly thinking investors or investors who are interested in the same topic or same company as you so you kind of pull in your resources together and uh, and and work on the same case and that's that's also uh, a sort of like a growing interest to many many investors because engagement does take resources and you can't engage with every single company or or then if you try to do that i would say that your engagements may not be very um, effective and very successful so what would you consider like typical firm that an active owner uh, usually engage with and, and how are engagement typically executed? Is it more like uh, talking to the company or is it divesting or is divesting like the, uh, the last resort of an institutional investor? Well, in my experience, um, it seems to me that if you actually have that ownership status, um, whether it is uh, through equity or fixed income investment, but some sort of financial um, stake in the company, uh, then companies are more willing to listen to you uh, compared to if you were a complete outsider and you'd say that, oh, potentially I'm interested in investing in your company, but there are these issues. Um, so it is usually that that there is that ownership structure in place. Um, the uh, the engagement themselves, um, I'm I I think that there there should always be an agenda. Uh, 
where you have uh, already thought about a desired outcome, you have thought about um, the plan, next steps, and 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 kind of like uh, thought thought about um, who you contact and and how you how you take these issues forward, and what are the points where you can escalate the engagement. Uh, you wouldn't typically think that um, maybe putting it forward a shareholder proposal is your first step. Maybe first step is to actually ask what has happened. It all also obviously then depends on the topic. If it's a reactive engagement where a risk event has already happened, it's fairly easy to to ask what happened and and how how did it happen and also then then as part of the engagement you start asking what are the steps that the company is taking in order to prevent from that risk event happening again um so so engagement is much more than just um letter writing or or also like attending big uh, big group meetings it is uh, building relationships and and talking to um, the the company management, uh, and it is to to sort of like uh, listen and learn and also bring forward your your sort of like the the worrying issues you have as an investor to the company, and hoping that the company understands and and makes corrective um, co- um, corrective actions to um, to mitigate any any issues that has already happened and 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 take corrective actions and also try to prevent uh, these uh, these negative events from happening again and and you need a lot of patience <laughs> so sometimes these engagements take uh, a very 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 long time uh, sometimes they can be over very quickly um, it all depends also how the company is willing to to respond and engage with you because it is not a monologue it's not one uh, so like uh, just kind of like communication to one direction, it, it should be a dialogue and it should be that both sides are are understanding that they are not against each other, but they are working, they should be working together towards um, a, a good outcome. Okay, I was just yeah going to ask you that, what would be like the typical response of a company that has had an ESG issue and, and then you engage them, so how they, do they typically respond to, to this guy? Do they get defensive, aggressive or anything? Or do they like uh, try to, to, to take uh, um, actions against this ESG to, 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 to fix it? Uh, and when are these uh, kind of engagement typically su- successful? Well, I mean, personally, I've had a, a very mixed, mixed sort of like uh, responses, but luckily the days are gone when uh, I have been uh, belittled ignored or even ridiculed from from the company side to today most companies um, are very good uh, and very professional and also used to investors um, having interest um, to to this level and willing willingness to 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 discuss and um, and so like um Every investor can classify engagements differently, so the success also then de- depends on the desired outcome. Um, uh, but to me, I think the uh, the importance is to understand that engagement is not micromanaging the company. It, it is you as the investor bringing forward some issues that you feel or see that they are value destructive and and issues that the company could and should address in order to to stop the value destruction from happening and if you can can uh, sort of communicate that effectively the company should then obviously uh, take on board on what you're saying and take corrective um, action and corrective measures 
but like I said, um, sometimes engagement can can take years, and you need to uh, escalate um, the issue sometimes if the company is not that responsive. But like I said, luckily um, the the things have changed massively over the, over the, over the years that uh, I have been, like I said, uh, belittled and and ridiculed uh, uh, and uh, and kind of like told to my um, place um, by by even large large companies which kind of like took me aback for a while and and I, I once attended a company meeting uh, and it was a one-on-one meeting and and I thought that the meeting would be over in a in a few minutes time because I was told all the topics that we're not going to discuss and they were the topics that we were supposed to discuss in the end we went over time with the the company um uh, senior manager and we discussed every single point that he told me before the meeting that we're definitely not going to discuss about so so you never know like i said it is also about relationship building thank you um so let's discuss that recently uh, published top uh, uh, paper in a top uh, journal in finance. So it's uh, by Dick Linus Roth and Wagner. It's a journal of financial economics paper from 2019. And they look at institutional investors and firm level ESG. So they basically find that institutional investors can push these kind of environmental and social norms uh, onto the firms they invest in. Uh, so basically driving uh, ESG level, uh, uh, firm level ESG. So, however, uh, they document that uh, this is only the case basically when an institutional investor comes from a country with a high ESG standard, such as in a European country. And that's, for example, if the institutional uh, investor comes from a country which, with, with low ES, uh, ESG standards, such as uh, maybe US, I think they mentioned. What's your take on this? Can institutional investors drive firm level ESG? And if so, would you agree with the notion that it's appears to be mostly the European institutional investors do this. When you kind of like introduced this question, you um, you said push, um, push um, the environmental and social norms onto the firms they invest in. I could kind of like um, um, say that you could, um, instead of saying push, you steer and you communicate. Uh, and, and that does not mean micromanagement. Um, you bring issues forward and then it's up to the company how the company wants to take these issues on on board. But yes, I do agree there there at times um, there is um, a a lot of pushing (laughs) happening as well. Interestingly about this study, um, I think is um, is that it showed that the uh, the, it's the PRI signatories that have the greater impact on on firms ENS performance. And and if you look at the uh, the PRI signatory base, uh, we tend to have more European PRI signatories than US, uh, and I think that's also maybe one of the uh, the, the the sort of like reasons why uh, the study found uh, found the evidence to to put, point out that that in institutional investors from uh, European countries have that kind of impact. Uh, good news about this whole this 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 notion of PRI signatories is that the uh, the numbers are growing and they're growing massively, uh, and uh, and and maybe that will then lead evidence showing a little different um, in a few years time. Um, I just recently looked at some of some of the growth numbers, 
And uh, within the last year in the US alone, the growth has been 27% in PRI signatories. Um, the base has been lower than overall Europe. Um, and, and you will have certain certain areas in Europe that has got um, is showing uh, superior growth numbers than 27%. There is one one region that I really, really want to pinpoint is um, is China. And yes, China has had very low numbers of PRI signatories uh, and, and therefore the, the growth numbers should look uh, impressive, but 77% in one year. Uh, I think it it's showing that this this sort of like notion of of responsible investment is important and it is 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 growing. But to really answer your main question, as in can institutional investors drive this topic, I think it's absolutely. But it needs other actors too. It can't be just uh, the investors and they can't do it by themselves. I mean, if there is a, some pushback that obviously slows things down and in some cases it halts the progress, um, but it tends to halt it for some time. Um, we investors can be quite tenacious. We don't give up. We keep on doing, um, doing also like having these discussions and bringing these issues forward. Unfortunately, um, in the US, the recent legislative um, changes has made it more difficult for uh, shareholders to bring forward um, issues into the uh, to the annual general meeting and uh, and normally what happens that if you have a shareholder um, proposal it takes a few years before it gets enough attraction enough uh, it gains enough um, interest from the, um, the 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 other shareholders and in the US now the threshold on on how and when you can you can resubmit the same proposal um, has gone up. We don't know whether or not that is going to change with the new uh, new powers that are taking place, but we work with what we have. Um, and and the good thing is more and more investors are looking into these topics. So maybe uh, going forward, it will not take several years to bring issues forward, but that happens quicker. Thank you, Anna. Very interesting take on the paper and, and uh, on this topic. I think we're ready to move on to question three. So it's about ESG risks. And um, and um, so the worst largest as a manager, BlackRock, uh, they recently stated in their annual letter 2020 that sustainability should be the new standard for investing. and. Uh, I think they mentioned that they view especially like climate risk as a transition and investment risk for investors and for the portfolios, and that this is like the, the main risk for the investors. So in your opinion, which ESG risks do you consider as most important for investors to take into account? And would you agree that they are these uh, climate change related risks? Well, I mean, every investor has to choose their own strategies and approaches. And, and therefore then the risks uh, considered will vary by, by topic too and by investor. Uh, so a lot of emphasis is put on climate change related risks, which can actually be a risky strategy uh, on its own if we miss out on significant other ESG risks. Also, one should remember that the climate change um, topics is not just an environmental risk, but it's a human rights risk too. Um, 
in order to understand your risks and 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 kind of like where you need to concentrate or where you should maybe concentrate where your impacts are are the greatest you um you sort of like need a data and you need lots of the data um carbon footprinting scenario analyses have gained ground um, recently so it it definitely looks like climate uh, change related risks are on so like one of the uh, this or like a high level topics or main main risk issues that that investors are looking at what i find interesting is is we have um seen a lot of um mergers in the field of esg and just recently it was announced that two big reporting um, initiatives or organizations are actually uh, merging and 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 going going together and bringing their their uh, sort of like separate uh, reporting standards together with the idea um, to bring better reporting to investors then to understand the risks and opportunities uh, they they may be um, facing in their portfolios Yeah. Um, thanks. And um, so if you continue with this BlackRock annual letter, letter, so they also in this letter argue basically that portfolios can higher risk adjusted returns. So uh, according to finance theory, basically uh, should not be possible on efficient markets to earn this kind of higher risk adjusted returns. So I'm just wondering in your opinion, so is ESG investing about trying to achieve higher risk adjusted returns, or is it more about the, trying to maybe achieve the similar type of or similar risk adjusted returns, but at the same time investing in a way that contributes to a more sustainable world? Well, I mean, I've seen in many cases, um, and and especially with um, with um, pension funds and pension insurance companies is, is where kind of like ESG started from, is a, a risk management, not quite a risk management function, but a, a, like an add-on to your your all, overall uh, risk management approach. Uh, that that we we quite often focus on what we hold in our portfolios, and the returns that these holdings generate, and we don't look at what we don't hold, and we don't. Um, we don't think so often of the risks that we've avoided through the use of ESG data. Uh, so if we think of uh, of the current um, market situation where we have very, very low interest rates, one bad apple in your fixed income portfolio can really re- destroy your returns. And and therefore, it, in, in my opinion, it, it is a, a very important that you understand um, the overall concept of ESG, that it can allow you to better identify the risks and opportunities um, within your portfolio, also the uh, the risks that you are avoiding. So, so I've seen studies where where um, researchers have stated that you generate better returns, and I've seen studies. That, that state that you uh, you generate inferior returns and anything in between. And the difficult part is that um, ESG is not one data point, is not one single issue. It's a bit the same as if you would try to ask a portfolio manager what part of what individual data point in the balance sheet 
led you to invest in this particular company. It is equally impossible to say what part of ESG data led you to invest in a company. Um, you might be able to say what part um, prevented you from, from investing in a company. But because it's such a complex issue, really so like to, to try to, to take out the ESG component in the return um, profile is, is very, very difficult. You can you can you can look at the data and you can look at the returns and you can try to find patterns there, um, but the uh, the data series tend to be a bit short. A lot of the uh, the the studies have to be done so that they are back tested, uh, which means that you've already overcome a hurdle of avoiding companies that went bankrupt in between that time, uh, which makes it not uh, a completely um, realistic approach. I don't know, maybe in in the future we will see uh, studies um, that will show, because I would love to be able to 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 uh, to fully show that um, ESG generates better returns. But I am of a more cautious, um, cautious um, um, person. Um, I wouldn't go that far to say that definitely through the use of ESG, you generate better returns. But uh, I'm also definitely not willing to say that you generate inferior returns. Um, through the use of ESG, you you just help yourself by understanding and knowing your companies um, you are interested in investing in. You know them better. That, that's kind of like my my uh, my philosophy and my feeling over over the years. Thanks. Very interesting take on this. And. Uh... <clears throat> Like you mentioned, there's there's a lot of studies that find inferior results and a lot of studies that find superior results and even more studies that are somewhere in between there. But uh, maybe one channel that uh, is kind of ESG investing can can generate uh, in some sense uh, higher risk adjusted return is what you mentioned, the risk management aspect of, of uh, ESG investing. And there's a paper in the Journal of Finance in 2017 by Lynn Severs and Tamayo, and they basically document that uh, during normal times, high ESG firms, low ESG firms perform roughly the same. But during the financial crisis in 2008, when there was uh, like this uh, total lack of trust in the markets, high ESG firms perform much better, significantly better than low ESG firms. And they argue that's basically because high ESG firms have better trust between stakeholders and firms and between investors and firms. So there was like this kind of insurance for investors during poor economic times. So what is your take on this? Uh, would you agree with this notion? Well, I mean, we have seen similar rea reactions this year, um, meaning that um, ESG investment products have had significant inflows and relatively um, uh, good performance compared to some more um, traditional products, um, if you say. And the trust that the researchers in this particular paper talk about, um, I think it's a really interesting notion. People often think of investments um, being nothing but number crunching and computing data. It is that too, uh, don't get me wrong, but it's also about interpreting the numbers, interpreting the data, understanding the story 
behind the numbers and the data. Um, taking the ESG factors into play can allow you to better understand the companies you're interested in. Um, and, and you may feel like you have a better understanding on the risks and opportunities. Um, you you may think that you saw like a trust your method better because you take a more broadest um, approach or broader view to your your potential investment investments. Um, so you may feel like you have a better downside protection. What I think um, should be pointed out, though, that it is not just for poor economic times, but it is uh, equally relevant for for better economic times and, and in boom markets that you can use this um, this ESG. Uh, as a as a downside risk uh, factor. Thanks. Um, I think we have some time left, so I will also uh, discuss another interesting paper published in the Journal of Finance in 2019. And uh, it was by Hartmark and Sussman. And basically uh, what they do is that they look at, it was 2016, the Morningstar made their sustainability ratings available, publicly available. Uh, so there's kind of sustainability ratings for funds. So it's like one globe, two globes, three globes, four globes, five globes. And then they use this, uh, this kind of natural experiment and they find that, okay, uh, when they made this information publicly available, there was a lot of inflow into the uh, high ESG funds and uh, outflows from the low ESG funds. So this basically suggests that investors on average, so not only a small part of investors, but investors on average actually consider and value sustainability when investing. Um, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on, on this finding. And so do you investors value sustainability? Could you? I, I, I do think that um, investors value sustainability, but um, I'm a bit skeptical on whether or not the evidence is coming from the morning star globes themselves. Um, the Morningstar Globes are um, are about the level of disclosure and not necessarily actual sustainability. And what I mean by this is uh, funds that invest in small and mid caps may get penalized as sustainability info on their portfolios is scarce compared to funds with mainly large caps. Uh, large cap names regularly publish sustainability reports, whereas smaller companies um, do that more seldom and, and, and or more infrequent or they don't publish as much data as the larger companies do. The, um, the lack of reporting does not automatically equal to poor ESG performance, just as um, the fact that there is a sustainability report um, does not automatically equal to superior ESG performance. Uh, I think it is important to consider sustainability when investing, but you need to understand what what are the metrics, what are the tools, what are the, the, the standards, the ratings that you use, and, and what they do and what they don't do. Um, and and when whatever the uh, desired outcome you have or, or whatever is the approach that you have chosen, you'd need to make sure that the tools you apply will actually help you to uh, get to your desired outcome or that they help you answer the questions you're interested in. Um, as an example, I could say that um, I've, I've used MSCI ratings um, in my career um, and, and there's been times when I've disagreed with some of the ratings that MSCI has provided. And I can say MSCI by name because they know my opinion and they've actually invited
at some of their events to talk about why I've been unhappy with their ratings um, or, or some some of their ratings. Uh, and uh, and I was not able to pinpoint why I was disagreeing with some of their findings. And it wasn't until we started to deconstruct the rating, as in look, looking at the raw data and the info behind the rating, um, that that led me to understand why or where I was. Uh, I had different views from from the rating provider. And it, this is not to say that the ratings were completely wrong. I mean, the the, the ratings and 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 the globes and and whatever standard or, or method of of ranking um, funds or companies you you use, uh, they all have their 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 sort of like uh, positives and they also have their drawbacks. So. I may have a different opinion on on weights and classifications that are making up a certain rating. And therefore, that's why you need to understand what the tool you choose is doing and what it is not doing uh, in order for you not to have unwanted or unknown biases in your portfolio. Because uh, other you never want to have biases that you don't understand or you don't know that you have. You want to take the risks that you know and understand in your portfolio. Um, so so uh, my my kind of like point here is the uh, the the key is always to read the research behind. Uh, whatever rating or ranking you're using, not just to take the the ranking or the the rating itself with face value you need to understand where it's coming from and what it is that it's telling you and it can sound complex and it can sound time consuming and i do understand that for example for retail investors it may be a daunting task to do um, but we do not have a single standard um, that would be over uh, arching on all topics related to ESG, all methods have their positives and, and unfortunately they also have their, their negatives and you need to, to understand what they are in order to navigate in the, um, the, the jungle of standards and, and, and rankings and ratings out there. Thanks. Interesting take again on the paper. Yeah, I think they actually uh, I think Morningstar also provides more detailed data on sustainability than just the globe. So I think that the, the authors find basically that there's a discontinuous jump just uh, around the, uh, the fifth globe and the one globe. So people don't, they look at the globe, but they don't look at the specific uh, uh, numbers in, uh, behind the, the globe, because otherwise you would see this kind of linear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You would not see a discontinuous yeah. jump. So they, yeah. So when the, it had, if it had five globes compared to four globes, then there was a discontinuous jump in the inflows to that. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly kind of like my point that do the investors who are using, um, some of them who are then just looking at the globes, do they understand what the globes represent and, and, and why certain funds are awarded five globes and someone else is awarded one globe? And if you think that it is um, to, like I said, the lack of uh, reporting does not automatically mean poor performance, but with the Morningstar Globes, the lack of reporting uh, leads to uh, fewer Globes. Yeah, but it's still an interesting finding that basically you have this 
this inflow into the high ESG globes and, and into the low. So in that sense, it seems to be that investors actually look at these globes and take into account the sustainability and then, but yeah, but don't look into detail into the exact ratings that you say. But okay, let's move on to the uh, fourth question, our last topic. Uh, let's discuss a little bit the future of ESG investing. So COVID has uh, obviously had a large impact on the world, but moving on to a world beyond COVID, in your opinion, uh, Will ESG investing become more or less uh, important? And has COVID in any way changed ESG investing? I think the evidence um, mentioned earlier in this um, uh, in, in our discussion here, the interest on ESG globally, the inflows, the performance, it seems to indicate that uh, ESG is becoming more and more important. And COVID um, seems to have highlighted the need for this more holistic approach, more the broader approach on looking at the risks and opportunities in your investment portfolio. Um, to really improve um, the uh, your your understanding also on shocks and 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 market reactions. So so uh, I do think that it has changed um, um, to to sort of like positively, if one can say, of a horrible um, horrible sort of like a thing like COVID having having sort of like a positive effect. But it it definitely has um, has um, sort of like highlighted the need uh, and and the desire investors to um to to have a um a better understanding and 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 looking at ESG in a in a broader way. So you would say that ESG investing is here to stay? Well I mean I was debating that question with myself almost 20 years ago <laughs> when I was uh, I was faced with a choice. So uh, I I mean I started my ESG journey when I was a uh, a credit analyst at Ilmarinen and so I was analyzing industrial companies, manufacturers and so on. And I, I realized that um, look, looking so like ESG topics um, was taking more and more of my time and I had less and less time to look at how the fixed income markets were were performing and, and when you don't have that time you're not being a very good analyst. So I had to choose. Do I go to be a full-time ESG specialist or should I remain as a credit analyst? And I trusted my gut feeling then, and I will trust my gut feeling even more confidently today. And I will say absolutely ESG is here to stay. We are heading towards an era where I think we will have nothing but ESG investing. Everything will be more or less ESG. It does not mean that we all invest in a similar fashion, in a similar style we will still have a multitude of approaches, styles and, and tools to choose from. Thank goodness for that, because otherwise it would be very, very boring if we all just um, do exactly the same. Uh, I do think that in a, in a few years time, we will not be so much talking about responsible, responsible investments we will talk about investments, and that means it is done in a in a way where ESG um, issues are taken into consideration when making investment decisions. Yeah, I agree. It also seems to be that uh, finance academia is catching up on this, and you can see a lot more work being done on this, and and also a lot more good papers being published all the time in good journals. So, seems to be a trend there also. Um, okay. I think we're ready to, to conclude. So um, many thanks, Anna, for taking the time to discuss these interesting topics with us and, and for sharing your thoughts on ESG investing. And 
Maybe to conclude, could you provide your key takeaways on ESG and responsible investing? And uh, maybe also give some advice if there's any students, for example, listening into this, uh, interested in learning about uh, or working with ESG investing. Could you maybe give some advice to, to these students? What should they focus on? <laughs> what should they focus on? Well, um, the, uh, the kind of like one key takeaway uh, I would like people to understand is um, is when we talk about ESG, when we talk about responsible investment, in its simplest form, we're talking about good portfolio management. So there is really no reason for you not to use ESG, responsible investment uh, approaches, in your overall investment strategy. You do want to make uh, better investment decisions, and and I'm I'm I firmly believe that that in order for you to be better uh, at making these kind of um, decisions, you need to look at ESG. It doesn't mean that you look everything from A to Z. You need to concentrate on the um, on the significant topics, on the relevant topics, on the financially. Um, uh, important topics and that's where where the interesting part comes from we don't always agree what those are we will have uh, different financial um, data providers and service providers and and consultants who are saying that we should be looking at this and someone else is saying that we should be looking at that and that's also the the, the beauty of, of working in the financial markets is that that you have to uh, to sort of like um, make your own decisions on what you consider as being important. What do you consider as being financially relevant and concentrate on those topics, even though they may be different uh, from someone else's views. So that's kind of my key takeaway is, is that this is good portfolio management and that's the reason why why um, everyone should be looking at ESG issues. On the advice side, uh, happy to say that ESG actually seems to be uh, one of the most resilient jobs in the financial markets at the moment. So not a bad career choice to, um, to, to pursue, although I have to say that I may be a bit biased on on this one but financial times did did uh, do an article um some time ago where they had studied the different jobs within the financial markets and and they according to to this study they found that yes ESG and responsible investment related jobs actually were ones where that were growing in the market and were not as um as a uh, as sort of like a risky in in job security um, than than some other other jobs within the financial markets. If you're interested in this topic, um, the kind of way to go forward is to to read, to learn, to listen, to attend seminars. Well, web, webinars now because no one can do seminars, but but hopefully someday uh, we'll get to the seminar part as well. Um, the events, uh, etc to learn more and know more, um, be active in finding trainees, summer trainee positions and 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 so on. Um, and um, I mean, sometimes I feel like I got onto this journey by accident, but in reality, I, I'd say that if it hadn't happened the way it did happen, it would have happened some other way. If you have the passion or you have the drive for it, uh, you tend to create the possibilities for you uh, in order to achieve um, what you want to achieve. So just be resilient and 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 
like I said, uh, attend events and, and seminars and webinars and, and read and, and kind of like get to know the network and 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 that's one of one way to um to go forward and and find the the perfect job thank you very much and uh, this was a very inspiring and an interesting discussion and and uh, um, once again many thanks for taking your time to discuss this interesting topic well thank you for having me it was a it was a great uh, great pleasure to uh, to have this discussion with you today